off we went, marching onward across a fantastical land, past waterfalls that sprayed rainbowy mist and fields of flowers that looked freshly painted by a post-impressionist. I felt Lysandria's otherworldly winds gently blowing through my hair for the first time and took a moment to appreciate what I couldn't appreciate before. This was the real deal, an RPG fan's dream. It had monsters, magic, and of course, maidens. If a romance with Tia bloomed as bright as the Lysandrian wildflowers, maybe I wouldn't want to ever go home. When our legs started to get tired, we sat in a meadow next to a bubbling brook, the grass wet and shimmering under the emancipated sun. I filled my canteen with crystal clear water, and we took turns drinking from it like lovers sharing a bottle of wine. Ah, it sure would be nice to have something to eat right about now. Oh, hold on. Tia rifled through a purse that hung from her girdle and produced a small jar containing a white substance. Would you like some mush marrow floof? I nearly forgot I had it. Mush marrow floof? That almost sounds good, but I'm too hungry to care. Let me have some of that. Delicious, isn't it? <gasps> mm. Uh-huh. Yep. Mmm. <laughs> Bushmarrow floof tasted like butt-flavored Spam. As I was hunched over the creek heaving, I noticed footprints in the mud, small with only four toes. Flurf! Flurf's been here. See? I can track these. Really? Well, what are we waiting for? Flurf's footprints meandered with the brook for a ways and then returned to the path, heading in the direction we were already going. Maybe my wayward friend knew I'd follow his tracks, and he was still leading us to the LARP. After what seemed like half a mile or so, the footprint circled around and stopped near a round, discolored patch of dirt on the road before continuing on. Something must have been there that caught Flurf's attention. I took a pinch of the dirt and held it up to my nose. Horse chips. Good old Flurf. He was following the feces. Tia, these tracks look fresh. I think if we hurry, we can catch up to him. If you say so. Running as fast as we could while still keeping sight of the footprints, we covered a lot of ground. And then the footprints abruptly ended. Oh no! What happened? Where did he go? Slavers. What? I told you. They prowl this area. The footprints stopped because he was loaded onto a wagon and carried away. No! Not Flurf! I'm sorry, Dickie. He's gone. But we have to find him. We have to find the LARP. But without Flurf, it's hopeless. Look, we're headed towards Marinport, right? It's possible we might find him there before he's sold off in an auction. Okay, then. How far away is Marinport? It can't be too much farther. I can already smell the green sea. It turned out we were closer to Marinport than we realized. Soon we could not only smell the green sea, but hear it too. And before we knew it, the harbor city appeared before us. It was larger than Reapwood by a lot and I marveled at the lofty clusters of buildings and busy throngs of denizens as we made our way through the narrow cobblestone streets. 
Tia insisted on wearing Wendell's green robe with the hood up as to not attract attention, but I wasn't sure why she would have stood out in the first place. She seemed to know where she was going, and I followed her to a bustling seaside marketplace ripe with the heavy scent of fish and brine. Wasting no time, she went directly up to one of the many stalls and addressed the vendor. Excuse me, do you know if there is to be any slave auctions today? Hmm, they're over. Some more tomorrow, I think. I see. Dang it, we're too late. It was a long shot anyway. I guess we can still inquire around. A bizarre creature such as your flurf would definitely have been noticed. In the meantime, I'm sure we're both positively famished and could use a nice meal. I do have a little bit of pip saved up in my purse. After purchasing some fish, T and I found a nearby stone table and ate greedily. Olivia had caught a rat and joined us for dinner as well. It didn't really bother me after what I'd seen Fleur feed. When we finished, we sat in silence for a moment, watching the harbor as the waves lapped the rocky shore and sailing ships of all sizes bobbed up and down along the docks. Next, out of any other ideas, we asked various merchants, dock workers, and market goers if they'd seen anyone matching the description of Flurf in the area. Most people shrugged or looked at us like we were mad, but finally we had some luck from an elderly fisherman. He'd watched the slave auction earlier in the day and remembered a little purple critter being sold to a wealthy gentleman from some place called Moradonia, who then took him aboard his ship and departed, presumably headed back to his estate. Tia explained that Moradonia was just across the Targian Channel, and with one more bit of good luck, she was able to purchase us tickets on the last ferry boat of the day, bound for that same destination. Along with a dozen other people, we boarded the small, single-masted ship and set off across the green sea. water was calm, but a steady wind carried us at a good clip. Occasionally, when the late afternoon sun shone just right on the surface, you could catch a glimpse of the green tent that gave the sea its name. An hour or two into our voyage, with the coast of Moradonia a long speck on the horizon, another ship seemed to catch the ferry captain's notice. Nervously glancing at it, he suddenly turned pale as the ship's flag came into view. Prominently displayed on the stern of the ship was a black flag emblazoned in white paint with a skull of a parrot and two crossbones. It's the Polly Roger! The passengers started to murmur anxiously about pirates and clutched their belongings to their chests. Soon enough, the huge square-rigged frigate confirmed everyone's fears and maneuvered alongside us close enough so that we could all see the men on deck aiming flintlocks at us. Several colorfully dressed corsairs boarded the ferry followed by a bearded man in a black woolen overcoat with a parrot on his shoulder. The ferryboat captain prostrated himself at the man's feet. Please, sir, from one captain to another, have mercy on us. Why are you jabbing at me for? I'm not the captain. My name's Steve. He's the captain. The bearded pirate gestured to the parrot on his shoulder. Or haven't you heard of the dread parrot Roberts, a.k.a. Blackbeak. <gasps> Give us all your booty. You heard the bird. Everyone put your valuables into the sack and then we'll let you be on your way. Don't give these scoundrels anything, Dicky. Once Queen Sabrilia hears of this, she'll hunt every last one of them down like dogs. Their heads will be on pikes. But what about our heads? Oi, you there, lad with the owl. What have you got in your fancy bag? Nothing worth anything. No? And what about you, lass? Where's your loot? Huh. That's all you'll get for me, you scabby sea bass. <laughs> Walk the plank. Walk the plank. You better not lay a hand on her, you lily-livered rapscallions. Hang him from the yardarm. Well, hold on, Captain. Let's not be hasty. If I may suggest an alternative. These two say they've got nothing to give us. But I'd wager they've got something to give our newest mate on the poly. Hi. Send up no brown beard. Two pirates took T and me aboard the pirate ship and led us to the stern, up to the poop deck. Then they quickly left us, as if they were a little afraid. From behind the shadow of the mizzenmast, I heard a familiar voice. 
Hand over all your poop. Flurf? Then he stepped into view. Ducky? Flurf! Ducky! Flurf! We ran to each other. What happened to gray hair? Oh, that was just a costume. What are you doing here? We looked all over for you. Flurf got rescued from slavery by Blackbeak, and now Flurf a poop pirate. Well, I guess that's why they called you Brownbeard. Looks like you've gotten your fair share of plunder. <laughs> Missed you, buddy. Hello, Flurf. I think we got off on the wrong foot earlier. We're looking for the LARP, and I hear you know where to find it. Is this true? Flurf know where LARP is. And can you tell us its exact location? Hmm, have to show you. Well, can't you draw a map? What is map? Tuh, a fine sailor you'll be. Sorry, that was rude. But at least tell us if it's not too terribly far from here. It not far. Now remember, Flurf, you've said that before. It not far. It only on other side of sea. You mean Moradonia? Yeah, it in big garden just off water. Great. Now just have your pirate mateys let us all go and then show us the way. Avast ye. Flurf swore oath of allegiance to pirate crew. Drat! There must be some way of getting out of your contract. We'll need to parlay with Blackbeak. Back on the main deck, we found Steve giving orders to the crew while the other pirates continued to rob the ferryboat passengers of their riches. Blackbeak was not on his shoulder. We explained our situation, and Steve relayed it to Blackbeak, who'd already retired to his cabin. Afterwards, the first mate returned. Now because in the short time we've known Brownbeard, he's proven to be such a lovable scallywag, the captain has agreed to allow the two of you your leave without payment, on account of your being his mates. But he won't nullify Brownbeard's articles of agreement without substantial monetary compensation, or a term of service from you of no less than two weeks aboard the Polly Roger. So what you're saying is, we either pay for Flurf's release now, or work it off for two weeks. Aye, or go with the ferry without the little bucko. Well, I refuse to work for cutthroat criminals. Come on, Dickie. We're leaving on the ferry, and we'll just have to find the LARP ourselves. Mmm. Dickie? Sorry, but I'm not leaving Flurf. Ah, fine. But I'll not sleep in the forecastle with all the other filthy misfits. I'll be in the hold, and Dickie... You can forget about getting any more mushmarrow flute from me for quite some time. Oh, someone's in trouble. And with that, Tia stormed off. Flurf was ordered to swab the poop deck, and I was left alone with Olivia while Steve left to tell the captain we'd be staying on. I sat down on a crate. I guess it's pirate lives for us now, Olivia. Who would have thought? I wish you could talk like Blackbeak, because I sure could use some of your Alish wisdom right about now. Ah, uh, this is awkward, but I can talk, Diggy. Uh, what? Yeah, sorry. I knew you was thinking earlier that you was only playing a game or something, and I didn't want to frighten you. Plus, I was a little scared to speak up for myself. You were scared? Of me? Of Tia. Oh, she's not so bad. I don't know, Diggy. Something don't sit right with me about her. For one thing, she don't have the accent of a simple ranger's daughter. She sounds more fancy-like to me, and the way she carries about bossing you round and such sounds like she's used to getting away. I'd reckon she's a princess. A princess? They call it slumming. When them royals decide they're bored up in the castle, they decide to muck about with the commoners and get into all manner of mischief. Wow. And why does she want you to play the lop so badly? Ever ask yourself that? She wants to bring balance to the realm. What does that mean, though, Dickie? Well... All right, owl boy. Go and fetch your sweetie. Captain wants you both swabbing the poop with Brownbeard. She's not my sweetie. At least not yet. Oh, good grief. After retrieving a still-pouting Tia from the hold, we joined back up with Flurf and began mopping the floorboards with sand and salt water. Peering over the port side railing, I saw the ferry boat paddle quickly away, all of its poor passengers accounted for, except for two. The sun would be setting soon, and I'd most likely be spending another night in Lysandria. 
If I ever made it back to my own dimension, I hoped it would be like the fantasy books I've read, where no time has passed at all on the other side. But I feared it could also be like the science fiction books I've read, where time moved faster on the other side. I'd still be a 12-year-old, but Plunger would be an adult, probably working at the pudding factory, and my mom would be an old lady, or worse. I pushed that thought from my mind. Ah! What's wrong, Flurf? Flurf not feel good. Is it your tummy? Uh-huh. You probably ate too much. Ah! <laughs> what? He's faking it. I don't think so. Uh, Flurf have to poop. But I thought you said you only pooped once every bazillion years. At time. The whore is at the stern all the way on the other side of the ship. Don't you dare do it on the poop deck. We've just nearly finished cleaning it, and that's not what it's for. Ah, uh, time. Uh. uh, what is that? <sighs> Let me see that. I'll tell you what this is. Freedom. When we showed Flurf's pellet to Steve, he said he'd never seen a bigger and more beautiful black pearl in all his days of sailing. Captain Blackbeak agreed to terminate Flurf's contract in exchange for it, and everyone consented, even Tia, although she was still in shock that a glossy, iridescent orb had come out of the little rascal. The pirates even agreed to take us to the exact cove where Flurf had seen the LARP, but because daylight was fading, we'd have to search for it tomorrow. That night, the decks of the Polly Roger echoed with sounds of merriment as her flush crew guzzled down grog and shouted out shanties under the glow of the fluff white moon. True to their word, when dawn came, the pirates steered the ship as close along the Moradonian coastline as they could get, while Fleur sat in the crow's nest with a spyglass, searching for a specific inlet only he'd recognize. It took most of the morning, but Fleur finally found what he was looking for. Ahoy! Ahoy! Then we paddled out to the beach in a small dinghy that was gifted to us, and just like that, the pirates weighed anchor, waved goodbye, and sailed off in search of their next prey. Not far from the sandy shore was a pathway of salt-weathered green stones leading off into a swampy thicket. That way. Here we go. Past the thicket, the pathway met a short flight of warped, mossy steps. Almost there. At the top, a hidden glade stretched out before us, and in the center of it stood a wall of perfectly manicured hedges with a stone archway entrance. A plaque said, The Garden of Bamboozlement. Oh, great. It's a maze. Flurf, do you remember the right route? Um, yep. We stepped onto a paved path and stayed close behind our furry guide as he scampered down the twisting hallways of hedges. Just when I thought the maze didn't have any tricks in store for us, we came to a sudden dead end. Uh-oh. Flurf? Hmm. This way, then that way, then up and down, then that way. Okay, Flurf remember now. Backtracking slightly, we took another route and seemed to be once again on the right path. That is, until we came to yet another impasse. Ah, Flurf all mixed up. I knew it. You're as lost as a blind owl. Maze is different now. Oh, sure, they must have torn out all the hedges and then regrew them in different places. Makes perfect sense. Speaking of owls, the solution is simple. Olivia, sorry to interrupt your nap, but would you mind giving us a bird's eye view of the maze? Hoot! With that, the nocturnal strigoform bounded off my shoulder and took flight. But immediately after she'd cleared the tops of the hedges, about six feet up, there was the sound of a horn. Then the flapping of other wings could be heard. And then we saw the creatures, a flock of them, descending from the sky like a meteor shower. Creatures that looked like giant bat-winged badgers. The badgers soared directly towards Olivia, but as soon as she flew back below the hedges, they retreated as fast as they'd arrived, and the alarm ceased. Whew. I think we broke the rules trying to have a cheeky peek. You can talk. Hm. When I want to. Realizing we were going to have to solve the maze the hard way, we began wandering the winding walkways again. Once, we found a small plaza with a fountain. More than once, we passed by a statue of a strange, faceless boy, 
although we might have been going in circles and seeing the same statue. Another time we encountered a slumped over skeleton in rusted armor. Hoping to avoid the same fate, we hurried panic-stricken around the next bin. On and on we roamed until we began to hear another noise. Following it, we eventually came to an older man with a gray mustache standing on a stepladder trimming some hedges. He was wearing clothing that wouldn't have looked out of place in 1930s Jupiter Springs, including a flat cap on his head. Excuse me, sir. Do you know the way to the LARP? Afraid I can't help you, Sonny. I'm just the gardener. But you do know the way, don't you? Well, of course I know the way. I know every inch of this place. Then why won't you help us? Well, I can't just spoil all the fun of finding it on your own, now can I? Why, I'd be cheating you out of a valuable experience. One that teaches self-reliance. That's exactly what Mrs. Barnes, my algebra teacher, said when I asked her why I couldn't use my calculator. And she was right. The joy of learning is its own reward. But maybe you could at least point us in the right direction? All directions is the right direction if you don't give up. Now, if I was y'all, I think it'd be fruitful to remember the balance in all things. There's good and there's bad, and you must pick a side. Without notice, Tia pulled me away. This old codger isn't going to help us, so I say you sneak up behind him and club him with your staff. Then we'll tie him up and force him to tell us how to find the LARP. Oh, I couldn't do that. He seems like a pretty cool guy to me. You disappoint me, Diggy. You know, I actually wanted to make you my boyfriend, but I guess we're just two different people. We're not so different. I never told you this before, but I lost my dad, too. Oh? Was he also killed by bandits? No, but I thought you said your dad was killed by wolves. I, I never said that. I think you did. We carried on. Along the way, I kept an eye out for any clues or patterns I'd missed before, but my mind kept returning to what Tia had said. I'd caught her in a bald-faced lie. Maybe Olivia was right about her. It was Flurf that finally tore me back out of my head. Ow! Ha! Huh? What's wrong? This burst bit, Flurf! What? Let me see. Hmm. Looks like you got pricked. This side has thorns. I wonder if the other side has them, too. Aha! This side only has berries. Little green ones. Almost completely camouflaged. But what does it mean? I am sure fruiting shrubbery is utterly fascinating to you, Dickie. But I think we're wasting time. That's it! Fruit! The gardener said it'd be fruitful to pick a side. We just have to follow the hedges with berries in them and it'll take us right to the LARP. Bloody brilliant, Dickie. I think you're right. I rather hope so. Only one way to find out. Let's go. We walked slowly and cautiously at first, checking the hedges at every turn, then faster and faster as I learned to spot the berries with more ease. We were practically running by the time we came to another archway. There was a man standing in front of it. I thought he was a knight at first, decked in shiny chrome armor, but under scrutiny, he appeared not to be a man at all, but a robot. Cease all forward ambulations immediately. I am Igor, intelligent gear-operated replica, and I guard the LARP. Access is denied. Uh, hello. We kinda did want to get to the LARP. Do we need to answer some riddles or something? Negative. Riddles are invalid. Okay, well, there must be some way you'll let us pass. I'm the chosen one, maybe. Entry parameters not met. Chosen one is invalid. Listen here, you crate cogmaton. Let us through this instant. Invalid command. Ah. Hmm. Maybe we need some kind of password or something. Perp. Poop not recognized. Access is denied. All right, Igor. You say you're intelligent, huh? Well, I'm Dicky. Doubly intelligent. Cool kid. Uh... Uh, actually, I just go by dick a lot of the time. Since when? Oh, expert. Yo, I challenge you to a duel of minds. Invalid request. Fine, a duel of brawn, then. Let's see how you fare against the sturdy oaken power of a druid staff. Dicky, be careful. Bam! Cease all violent maneuverings. Thwack! Ba- oh, hold on a second. 
Unzipping my backpack, I pulled out Billy Bobble's Marat and pointed it at the intelligent gear-operated replica. Buff! Behavior protocols overwritten. Command is accepted. Commencing laughter. Ha 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 Bloody hell! That certainly did the trick. Well, I suppose we're now free to enter. After you, Dickie. Just a minute. Before I put the Marat back, I realized that the face carved onto it was now my own face instead of Billy's. Okay, let's do this. We stepped into a small courtyard. There, upon a marble pedestal, rested a musical instrument about the size of a cello. Its body was U-shaped like that of a lyre, with open strings that glittered like veins of pure silver. But where a lyre normally ended, this device's polished wooden frame continued to curve up, forming a long, graceful neck with a backboard and tuning pegs. We did it. This is what we've come for. That's the LARP? Of course. What did you think it was? A lute? A harp? Don't be daft. I walked over and inspected the LARP. Behind it stood a golden stand with strange sheet music. In front of it sat a low stool with a plush cushion. Well, go on. Play it. It almost looks too beautiful to touch. You'd better, Dickie. Stop stalling. All right, hold your horses. Let's see. I can't make heads or tails out of this sheet music. I bet my friend Plunger could read it if he were here. I don't care about your friend Plunger. Now play it. Okay. Yes, your royal highness. What did you call me? I know who you are, who you really are. Oh? Then you should have addressed me as your royal majesty. Aren't you Queen Sabrilia's daughter? No, I am Queen Sabrilia. But, but you're too young to have a daughter, and Billy Bobble said the queen... Billy Bobble? Billy Bobble is a bumbling boar, and he was referring to my mother Hanra, the queen regent. I'm the queen regnant, the true, undisputed monarch by right of birth. Now I order you to put your fingers on the strings of the larp and pluck... I see. You know, everything could change as soon as I do. That's the point, isn't it? It has to change. Well, here goes nothing. It sounds kind of out of tune to me. Play it right. Fulfill the prophecy. I'm trying. It's not fulfilling. No! There's too much wrong in the world. It needs balance. Why isn't it working? Sorry. What's so bad about the way things are? You couldn't understand. I was meant to rule Lysandria. I even had Sirak the Sinister secretly turn my father, King Casavan, into a muskrat so that I could inherit the crown. But my mother, the shrew, reigns in my stead. And even when I come of age, the council will never allow me to sit on the throne. They say I'm disturbed. Well... Why, right they are. Spot on. Tia, or Queen Sabrilia, I should say, suddenly produced a dagger from somewhere underneath her dress and pointed it at my throat. The dried blood on the blade was unmistakable. You killed the ranger, Greenhat. I'll say you kidnapped me. And you and I will go to Iron Castle, where you will be imprisoned. There you will be forced to learn musical notation by the Master of Melodies until the day that you are proficient enough to play the LARP properly. You're out of your mind, little girl. Do as I say or die. The Queen jabbed her dagger at me menacingly, but I leaned away and then desperately tried to grab the LARP. Heavier than I thought, the instrument slipped out of my hands and crashed to the ground with a pounding twang. It remained intact, but as soon as it had left the pedestal, a door opened in the far wall of hedges, revealing a back exit out of the garden of bamboozlement. Run, Dickie! I'll hold her off! I hesitated for a second, but as soon as Sabrilia arched her arm back for another stab of her bloody dagger, I quickly ripped the sheet music from its stand. Come on, Flurf, let's get out of here! <laughs> While we fled out the door, I looked back once as Olivia fluttered frantically at Sabrilia's face, the monarch screaming and stabbing the air. I'll send Sarak after you, Dickie. 
He'll come with an army. We'll find you. Do you hear me? You can't escape your fate. Pulling Flurf behind me, we entered onto a lush, grassy hillside, with the only way forward being down its steep slope. We slid the whole way down to the base, coming to rest in a cloud of dirt and dandelion puff. Shortly after, my loyal owl ally rejoined us, once again perching on my shoulder. Had me feathers ruffled a titch, but I'm tickety-boo compared to her majesty. Gave the little chit a nasty gash I did. Fair to say she won't catch up any time soon. We made our way through a wide valley full of open meadows and plum tree groves, stopping briefly to let Olivia catch a field mouse, and eventually located a pebbled road. It took us to the gates of a city that resembled a gigantic, sprawling termite mound. Circular windows dotted the mud brick walls, and chimneys poked out at slanted angles. Lattices of sheer steps zigzagged over the whole complex, and everywhere you looked, pint-sized people were busy at work. One of them, a male about the size of Flurf, wearing a floppy hat and worn overalls, greeted us as we entered the city. Welcome. We don't see a lot of visitors in these parts. Will you be seeking room and board? What is this place? You're in the Nooklands. This is the city of Balenook. Are you a dink? Well, that term is derogatory. We're more formally called toddlings. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. Quite all right. Avoiding coming across as insensitive myself, may I ask what to call your furry friend? That's just Flurf. He's a feces-loving, ultra-dimensional, rascally familiar. Righto. Well, my name is Bogue Twinklecheeks, and what shall I call you, sir? You can call me Dickie. Pleasure to meet you. I'll take you to our inn. It's just this way. Um, we don't actually have anything to pay with. Hmm. Maybe then you can work to earn your keep. I'll set you up with Mayor Jarf Lumpy Nose. He had to know of some job in need of doing. We were taken up a spiraling staircase and into a small chamber, the doorway of which I had to slightly duck under. Mayor Lumpy Nose was a bushy-haired elder with round wire-rimmed glasses and chunky lenses that made his eyes look too small. He was watering his office plants when Bogue introduced us. Something about the mayor's sage, grandfatherly demeanor compelled me to tell him my whole story. The black chasm, the LARP, Queen Serbilia, everything. No doubt the young queen will find her way back to Iron Castle, and then I fear she will indeed sick Serac the Sinister and his army of evil to capture you. For although she may not be in power, she nonetheless has power, especially over Serac, who, it is said, adores her. I would be remiss in my duties as mayor and a member of the good toddling race if I didn't offer you safe haven in our city. But I fear your chances of remaining hidden here while these formidable forces scour the land in search of you are dismally low. Your chances on the run might be marginally higher if you are cunning and careful. But where would I go? I don't even know this world. Then there is only one option. We fight. We? Toddlings are a peaceful people. We favor celebration with poppers and parades over war with arrows and armies. But while we are short in stature, we are courageous and clever, and most of all, virtuous. We fight when it is just. So what say you, boy? Shall it be fight or flight? Ain't no one ever accused Dickie Newton of backing out of a fight. Very well. We'll likely have ample time to prepare, but we should not underestimate the queen nor the sorcerer. I'll send word to my top commandants to begin drawing up battle plans immediately. And so, that's what happened. Weeks passed as I oversaw the training and tactical planning of the coming attack. Brave volunteers from other cities in the Nooklands, such as Moornook, Nawapanook, and Braynook, came forward to support the cause. My companions and I stayed comfortably in the inn and were well fed, including Flurf. In the evening, my head filled with combat strategies and motivational speeches, I almost forgot about my life back in Jupiter Springs. It was Olivia, one late night, that reminded me. I don't mean to question your decision, Dickie, but do you really think we've got a proper chance against this Sirach Chav and his whole army of blighters? 
Well, it won't be easy, that's for sure. I mean, I know the queen is a right prat, but have you ever thought about just playing the bleeding larp and avoiding all this bother? But you were the one that questioned playing it to begin with. I know I did, Dickie, but I got me feathers in such a bunch worrying about you. What if she was telling the truth about the larp being able to open up doorways to other realms? And what if that's the only way back to your own realm? You ought to remember where you came from, all the people you left behind. Y- you don't belong here, Dickie. <laughs> I didn't realize I was so unwanted. Come on, I didn't mean it like that. <sighs> I'm going to bed. As it turned out, that was the very night before Sarek arrived. Bogue Twinklecheek spotted two warships off the coast of Moradonia the next day, and the scout Tiggin' Sneaky Feet sighted a platoon of cannibals marching southward from the far opposite direction. The sorcerer was trying to besiege us, but we'd anticipated this. I sent a contingent of warriors led by Flurf to head the cannibals off and draw them westward into the drowning dunes. Another contingent, led by Tharg Grumblefist, was ordered to engage in defensive attacks against the disembarking horde on shore. The toddlings had proven to be quite crafty, capable of constructing innovative mechanisms such as automatic repeating trebuchets, slings that slung miniature bombs, and fire arrows coated with pucky sweat, a flammable chemical that burns nearly invisible like methanol. The battle raged all day as the mixed army of reanimated skeletons, black mercenaries, and programmed cogmatons claimed incremental advances on the southern front while simultaneously seeing their numbers dwindle. And on the western front, the cannibals were suckered into chasing the much quicker and lighter toddlings through a desert of quicksand. There was a lull in combat once darkness descended, during which a meeting was held in Mayor Lumpinos's office turned war room, and it was decided by all that the fight so far had gone favorably for our side, with only meeker losses being reported. I was able to get a few hours of rest before the violence seemed to wake up with the sun. The first quarter of the day went about the same as the day before, and the outcome seemed promising. About midday, Flurf returned and reported that all of the cannibals, many of whom had turned to eating each other, making themselves even slower and heavier, were now dead or hopelessly stuck within the drowning dunes. Around late afternoon, the tide suddenly turned. Galvanized by an unknown trigger, Serac's troops in the south broke through our defenses and stormed into Bell Nook. Now forced to fight in hand-to-hand combat, the tiny toddlings faced a distinct disadvantage. Valiant as they were, the scene quickly became a slaughter as the invaders cut them down like dolls. I watched the carnage from the top of Belnook's highest roof, and I saw the moment Sirak himself entered the city square. This too was anticipated. I met the sorcerer man to man. Ah, there you are, Dickie. That disguise isn't fooling anyone. You are mistaken, Serac, for I am Wendell Woolbeard, a druid of Dragondale and an 11th level element master. I think it's time you face your destiny. So be it. Clad in black with a red cape and stand-up collar, the skull-capped Serac raised one hand in the air and demonstrated his magical aptitude by exploding nearby structures with fiery blasts. Ha 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 ha! Then it was my turn. I thrusted my staff up over my head, giving the cue for the first round of fire poppers to be set off from the rooftops. I cast blossoming bombs! The magic user's eyes went wide as he gazed at the pyrotechnic display in the twilight sky. How did you do that? You're just a boy. You buffoon. I've only been role-playing as a boy. Want to see more? I cast Star Shower. Now his eyes showed a hint of fear, although his confident expression never faltered. Observe the orb of desecration. From between his hands, a luminous blue sphere of swirling plasma manifested, 
which he then projected into the horizon. Moments later, it popped, sending a huge shockwave rippling through the air. More like borb of desuccretion. Behold, whistling missiles! <sighs> Such artful, annihilating power! Spinning pinwheels! Enough! I've seen enough! It is clear that you are a sorcerer of supreme skill. However, I have not yet shown you the full force I wield. Sirek lifted one leather gauntleted hand as if to cast another spell, but nothing happened for a few seconds. Then swiftly, a falcon glided onto his fingers. Meet Feather Frocklear, my extremely loyal companion. Feather, attack! At once, the peregrine launched itself at me with outstretched talons, but before it could get near, it was met with a streaking comet that looked exactly like Olivia Hooten John. The two birds collided into one another midair, clawing and biting. Locked in a dangerous embrace, they plummeted to the ground, flapping and kicking in a flurry of feathers. When it was all over, the falcon hopped away in retreat, one wing dangling limp. Olivia, too, had injuries. Several red patches of skin were visible where tufts had been plucked out, and one eye was swollen shut. I knelt beside her as she lay panting on the ground. I'm sorry I got testy with you the other night. Oh, Dickie, <laughs> I don't give a hoot about that. I just <laughs> want you to be safe. I'd kiss you if you weren't an owl. Oh, kiss me anyway. Mwah. My falcon! What has she done to my dear feather? That's nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you. I... I have to go now. I haven't eaten dinner, and I have to get up early tomorrow. So... The sorcerer snatched up his bird and hurried off, but moments later, a voice I recognized boomed across the square. Serac, you craven half-wit. I'll never forgive you for this. The queen herself, now dressed in elegant studded leather armor, strolled into view and spoke to the mass of invaders huddled around her. Your commander failed you. He was fooled by fire poppers, a stupid invention of the dinks. Now I command you to capture the larpert dicky and kill anyone who stands in your way. No. No more bloodshed. I'll willingly come with you. I'll play the larp as long as you tell your army to lay down their arms. If not... I'll incinerate this sheet music in the flames of the rubble at my side. <laughs> Very well. The battle is over. We'll set sail for Crownwall at once. Dickie? It's okay, Flurf. Let's go, Dickie. I gave a nod to Olivia. It's okay. I boarded one of the great warships anchored at the coast, and we sailed through the night. I was kept in the brig without so much as a blanket or a pillow, but managed to sleep soundly the whole way to the capital city. We put in at the harbor in the morning, and I was taken by wagon on a paved road winding up a sloping escarpment at the top set iron castle, basking in the dawn's purple glow, as real as could be. As for the interior, I mostly became acquainted with the castle dungeon. Sabrelia had, as she threatened, told her mother and the council that I'd kidnapped her, and they'd been obligated to treat me as a prisoner, although secretly I think they didn't believe her. For the next two weeks, I received daily lessons in my cell from Lyle Frilgood, the master of melodies, learning to read the notes on the sheet music and practicing on a replica LARP. I probably needed more than two weeks, but Sabrelia, unlike Lyle, was impatient and could wait no longer. After some protest, it was reluctantly agreed that a public ceremony was to be held on the castle yard wherein I would pluck the legendary LARP that the young queen had triumphantly retrieved bringing balance to the realm. It was a bright, balmy day when I was removed from my cell and brought outside before a crowd of eager onlookers. I learned later that Flurf and Olivia, her wounded wing mending in a sling, as well as many of the toddlings, had traveled from the Nooklands to see me. The nobility watched from a nearby grandstand that had been built for the tournaments. The LARP, along with the original stand and stool from the Garden of Bamboozlement, awaited me atop a rug-draped platform. I took a seat, and Her Royal Majesty stood next to me. I know you feel as if I've betrayed you, Dickie, and I really am sorry. 
I promise you, though, when I'm in charge, I'll make you my consort. Now, would you, at last, complete your destiny as the Chosen One, and pretty please play the bloody LARP? I took a deep breath, placed my fingers on the strings, and squinted at the sheet music. Sabrelia grinned, and then I began to play. What are you doing? That isn't the song. No, but this one's from the heart. Suddenly, to everyone's astonishment, a plain wooden door appeared out of thin air at the other side of the platform. It had a door frame, but no walls holding it up, and nothing was in front or behind it. Hold on. What's this? She began walking excitedly up to the closed door. I had a bad feeling in my gut. Is there something in here for me? Tia, wait! I don't think you should open that. She looked back at me, her eyes uncomprehending, as her hand turned the knob and the door swung open to crimson light. I turned my head away as soon as I heard the noise coming out. I never saw what she saw on the other side of that doorway and I still thank my lucky stars every day. I did see a shadow of something, however, something resembling a dragon, as its neck lurched through the portal and its toothy maw clamped around the paralyzed queen. Lifting her off her feet, the beast threw its head back and swallowed her whole. Scrambling away from its view, I rushed at the door from an angle and threw my weight at it, pushing the beast's head back into its own hellish realm and sealing the portal. As soon as the door was shut, it disappeared. And that's how I brought balance to the realm. With Queen Sabrilia's death, Hanra remained regent until she discovered that Sirik had turned her husband into a muskrat. Before the disgraced sorcerer was imprisoned, he was forced to undo his spell, and King Cassavan, who'd been found swimming naked in the moat, was restored as the rightful ruler of Lysandria. A week later, another ceremony was held in the Great Hall of Iron Castle. Seated in his high throne, the proud king bade me to kneel before the dais, and I was made a knight of the realm. Flurf and Olivia became my squires. Billy Bobble and the other Yester Jesters were pardoned for their crimes and rehired at court. Finally, as an additional reward, I was given a new set of custom dice, handcrafted by Sir Chauncey Summers, the master of games. One day, after the excitement had died down and life as a knight of Lysandria had become monotonous, I decided to go slumming in Crownwall with Flurf and Olivia. Wandering the streets wearing my old Wendell Woolbeard costume and backpack, I happened to notice a poster in an alleyway for a new tavern opening up soon. The name said, Fluids of Flagondale. I stopped and stared at it, an unexpected surge of nostalgia overtaking me. Olivia, who'd been hitching a ride on my shoulder, flew off and perched on a window ledge facing me. Is something the matter, my lord? Just thinking about Jupiter Springs, I guess I really miss it. My mom, my friends, Nintendo, Marshmallow Fluff, even Druids of Dragondale. Never did find a way back to my own dimension. Flurf know how to get there. What? You know how I can get home? Sure, Flurf can show you. Well, show me. Okay. Flurf clapped his hands together and all of a sudden, a wormhole appeared above my head. The next thing I knew, I was getting sucked straight up into it. Goodbye, Ducky. Goodbye. Then there was darkness, my old friend. When light returned, I was face down in the dirt. Sitting up, I recognized the trees of Tolola Pines National Forest. I was back on Misty Ridge Trail, but now the mist was gone. I got to my feet and brushed myself off. There was no black chasm either. My watch said 2.37 p.m. It had only been one minute. As I was standing there chuckling to myself, I heard fast footsteps approaching. Then, bursting into view, was an out-of-breath boy, my friend and nemesis, my fremesis, Jimmy Smedley. Oh, hey, Dickie. Cool Gandalf costume. Guess what? I'm going into a magical fantasy world where I'm the chosen one that will restore harmony to the land. I just have to find the opening. It should be around here somewhere. Ha! Good luck with that, Jimmy. 
I walked off. After a minute, I started to run. I couldn't wait to get home. Leaving a dust storm in my wake, I tore over the trails like a wild stallion and then hit pavement like a B-I-T-C-H in Camaro. The wind on my face, Jupiter Springs seemed to rush past in a smear of colors, but I didn't stop until I was back in Moonstone Hills and at the front door of my house. Charging up the stairs to my room, I collapsed onto my bed. I woke up just in time for game night at Plunger's Detached Garage. Well, it appears that most of you are done rolling up your new characters and were ready to begin tonight's adventure in the world of Dragons of Druiddale. What did you say? Dragons of Druiddale? What dimension is this? <laughs> Excuse me, I meant Druids of Dragondale. Ah, uh, phew. Dicky, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. The fate of Wendell Woolbeard rests in your hands. You know the situation, and you know the rules. Now, roll your die. Yes!